We are recording in January, and I love January because it is the start of something new. Wipe the slate clean, take the Christmas decorations down, clean up your house, write the New Year's resolutions, buy a new planner, get together with your organization, come up with those organizational goals. It's what we do every year. And when we do that, that new course that we set out and plot gives us hope. Hope that we're heading in the right direction, a new direction, a new destination. It's just like when we take a trip. We pack our car, we plug in our GPS to the destination that we want to go to. But what if, what if that's all we did? What if we only looked through the windshield, making sure that we were following exactly what the GPS is telling us to do? Will we make it to our destination? We would not. Because we can know exactly where we want to go, and we can have reliable directions on exactly how to get there, but that knowledge alone, it isn't going to be enough to get us there. What's wrong? Well, you can't be aware only of where you're trying to go. You must be equally aware of where you are. A good driver always got to be looking through that windshield. Yet, also constantly attuned to the dashboard, to looking at those indicator lights that are within the car. Those indicator lights, they offer information that is absolutely critical if you're going to reach that destination. It's as, as a matter of fact, it's just every bit as important as looking at that windshield. But it offers you information that you're going to have to look down at because it's not obvious, is it? It tells you basically what's going on up under the hood. But if you ignore those alerts provided by the indicator lights, it's not going to be long until it's pretty obvious that you didn't do that because you're going to end up on the side of the road getting a speeding ticket or having your engine burn out or running out of gas. Because inner neglect always results in outer devastation. Because we're designed not only to plot our destination, but also to pay attention to those indicator lights that God has given us and expressly told us to pay attention to. Proverbs 4.23, it starts with this kind of astounding beginning. He says, above all else. Like the whole book of Proverbs, he's saying, listen, if you leave with anything, this is what it is that you need to leave with. So it's a pretty big deal. And then what does he say? He says, guard your hearts, for from it flows everything that you do. Now, the word heart here refers not only to your emotions, but also to your thoughts, your desires, your choices. It's your control center. It's your core. It's vital, but it's not seen unless you choose to look for it. It's under the hood. And we kind of have that natural inclination not to pay attention to it, to keep it right there. Unknown by us, unknown by others, unknown by us before God, unless we choose to say that. Because it makes us uncomfortable to go deeper. Years ago, my husband and I, we were foster parents to two, um, two young children, a boy and a girl. <clears throat> and after they left our home, uh, they went back to their parents, and they were abused again. 
So they went back into foster care in another state. But they would come and visit us through the years, Christmas, spring break, etc. Now, um, those were good times, sure, but they were also really painful times. Now, outwardly, everyone would say, oh, you're doing such a good thing. That's such a good thing. Have foster children in your home. But, but there was a lot going on under the hood in our hearts. Sometimes there was irritation, having an ex- extra couple of kids. Sometimes there was exasperation because things didn't go as planned. There was a lot of frustration inwardly because we could not protect those children once they left our home. And there was a lot of anger, sometimes directed at God. Why didn't he protect them as we wanted them to? So a lot of stuff churning. And what I would notice, each time that they left, I I went through kind of a ritual of sorts. They hadn't even gotten out of the driveway before I would already have their beds stripped and I would move on to straightening up the entire house. And if you know me, that's not a normal thing for me to do. But I was putting everything away, getting everything back in order, because the hope, and I think it was unconscious, of course, but the hope was that if I just kept moving, if I would gain a sense of control outside of me, then I could somehow outrun the pain that was inside of me. I was pressing that gas, looking only through the windshield, and I was ignoring the indicator lights. But what if, what if instead... I could look at those indicator lights, even the ones that indicated some pretty dark stuff, if I could see them as God intended them, intending them to say to me, Julie, where are you? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, well, they had disobeyed God, and they, like me, they were moving on. They were sowing fig leaves fast as they could. They were getting busy. But then they heard God in the garden walking towards them, and they panicked. They were afraid, and I would have been too, because I'm sure that they expected that God was going to call them to account, say something like, after all I did for you, I said, stay away from just one tree, and you didn't do that, did you? What have you done? But that's not what the all-knowing God of the universe asked them. Instead, he asked them, where are you? Now, he he knew where they were. He knew what they had done. But they didn't know where they were. They were not aware of the state of their own hearts. And that is where God moved right in. Because he knows how he designed us. They ended up very far from the destination that he had created them for. They had not guarded their hearts. So they lost their way. And I think that's kind of odd. Um, Because when I think of losing my way, I think kind of of a culture, kind of like the one that we live in, you know, where you are pacing yourself and kind of getting a lot of your values from whoever is outside of you, around you. And, you know, if you do the right thing, you'll get the right thing. So go, 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 go as fast as you can. But there in Eden, they just like had each other and a bunch of animals. And yet still, even though they were in paradise, they lost their way. Which says, it's really not where you live. It's how you allow your heart to be pulled off course. 
So with that in mind, I want to ask you, where are you? How are you? What's going on under the hood? I'm going to be a typical counselor. I'm going to answer the question with a question, another question. When I asked you, where are you? What was your inner response? Like, what were you feeling? Fear, maybe? And where in your body were you holding that? Maybe like I started breathing a little faster, felt some tightness in my chest, a little tightness in my jaw. What were you thinking? Maybe something like, I don't know where I am, and I don't really want to know where I am. Because why would anyone want to open up that Pandora's box? And I think that that is really a fair question. So I want to give you just a couple of thoughts to consider. Why open up the Pandora's box? Number one, you really can't change behavior without knowing the heart. Because behavior is just a symptom of the health of your heart. And we begin to know our hearts simply by attuning ourselves to the indicator lights, to what they're saying. What are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? What are you thinking? When people come to me for counseling, usually it's because they want to change some type of a behavior. So usually, right around the first session, I have them write down what I call a little equation because um, I'm very visual and words and pictures help me remember things. So I always say to them, we can't start with behavior because this is the way that it works. Event. Serpent comes to Eve. Draw a little arrow. Leads to thinking. Eve thinks, I want that. God's holding out on me. Draw another little arrow to feeling. What does Eve feel? She feels entitled. Draw another little arrow, and that gives birth to what? Behavior. What did she do? She bit the apple. So you see, we can't start at the behavior, right? Where do we have to start? We have to start in the center with the thinking and the feeling which brings us right back to Proverbs 4.23. You cannot change behavior without changing the heart. You can't change the heart without learning the heart. Two, we attune to our thoughts and to our feelings because those indicator lights are one of the primary ways that God uses to draw us because he wants to attend to what that is. When you have that indicator light of feeling going off, that's saying something needs to be attended to under the hood. And that's from the Father. You're not going on a witch hunt looking for hidden sin. You're paying attention to what's going on deeper. Indicator lights, they're not the pointing finger of Jesus. More like the outstretched hand. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
He's with us. He's in us. He's around us. He leads us in this process. And this process, see, it's really only possible. I can only risk looking in because the gospel is real. Right? Because since Jesus is my righteousness, which is the first tenet of the gospel, now that Jesus is my righteousness, he has died on the cross for me. Whatever gets exposed in me has already been paid for. And secondly, I am now a a daughter of the king. Therefore, anything that gets exposed in me, I already have within me the capacity to deal with it in the form of the Holy Spirit. So because of that, I have courage. The preaching of the gospel gives me that courage to face whatever is in there at any given moment. Stuff that I'm aware of, stuff that I'm not aware of. This is what we lean on constantly, just even in the counseling room. We're going back and forth from deeper introspection, application of the gospel, deeper introspection, application of the gospel, because I really don't know how we could handle the risk otherwise. The gospel, it doesn't empower us. It relieves us. It calms us. It allows us to grab his hand and go deeper. The third reason, we must become aware and at home with emotion, the language of the heart, is because we are image bearers of God. Jesus came to earth so we could see in flesh and blood a living display of the heart of God. And our central calling, that destination that we plug into the GPS, this is, this, this is what it's all about. This is it right here. You were not created to be a businessman, a wife, a mother, a counselor. That is not why you were created. That's what you're doing. But your central calling, your central calling is that because of you, when they see you, they understand more of the heart of Christ because that's exactly why Jesus came to earth. I don't believe that Jesus, though, he, he's not portrayed normally, I think, in the way that he really is. I think we soften him up a bit. We make him kind of a, a glowing, ethereal figure. Um, and because of this, if that's the way we see Jesus, what do we do with our own thoughts and feelings, which at times, they are anything but serene. Like, what do I do with my anger and my disillusionment that's aroused by the plight of those foster children? Is that not somehow part of the way that I bear the image of God? Or what about my client? She told me that she was full of shame because she was afraid uh, that her cancer had returned. And I said to her, oh, okay, I, I totally get the fear. But the shame, tell me more. And she said, well, it's not Christ-like. Being fearful, that's not Christ-like. Jesus, Jesus, he would, he would accept whatever God gave and, and be serene about it. And I, I'm not, that's not Christ-like. Isn't that funny how we can kind of edit the scriptures to match the image of Jesus that we already have in our head. So I, I asked her, um, what do you do with the Jesus that's weeping at the grave of Lazarus? Or the one that shouts, you brood of vipers, to the Pharisees? 
but most especially the Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's so poignant that I want to read this section to you, and I want you to put the lens on of how does Jesus emote when he's in reality. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. and He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said, couldn't you men keep watch and pray with me for one hour? What do you see as you watch Jesus in this scene? What's he feeling? Serenity? Peace? Like my client suggested? It's not really what I see. He was overwhelmed, so much so that he reached out to his friends, essentially to say, I don't want to go through this alone. Be with me. He was vulnerable with them. He asked them to be present. And he was also honest when they weren't. And he told them the impact that they had had upon him. I mean, he basically said, seriously, guys? One hour? And then, how does he relate with his father? Is he serene and ethereal? Or, or does he hide his anguish between, behind a shield of stoic obedience? No, he feels and he expresses those feelings freely. We see his fear. We see his loneliness. We see the vulnerability of Jesus. And we can look at this, and when we do, we see exactly what it is that God wants us to see, which is, hey, I, we're kind of like each other right there. Like, he gets me. And that draws us to him, does it not? It shows us. Yeah, image bearers. And by the way, how, how could release to the Father of whatever you will mean anything to us if we didn't understand what that cost him? What that cost him was as much as it was cost you and I. And somehow we lighten that up when we made, make him into one of those, you know, fuzzy figures. But he isn't. Again, the way that Jesus deals with those feelings, the way that we deal with our feelings is an essential part of our calling. Because just as Jesus shows us, we are to show others, the world, the heart of God. And that really is the central reason why I wanted to write this class. Because our hearts, they're important to God. And he tells us, protect them. Uh, we live in a world that begins the assault on your heart 
before you were ever born by the stories of your family that shape you. We must be aware of our hearts and then attend to whatever it is that comes up. And that's where we're going to be going for the next five weeks of this class, developing an awareness and then learning how to attend to whatever it is that you become aware of. We're going to be talking about trauma, a little bit, regulation, a little bit, um, but more than anything, the process of bringing to God the way that Christ did what was deep in his heart. Um, I want to be clear, though, of the ultimate aim of our time together because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of times when I get really discouraged um, with the way that uh, Christendom often um, and sometimes my own colleagues in psychology and counseling tend to speak of healing as if healing is an end in and of itself. The healing of our hearts is the means to the end. But the end, the reason that our hearts are healed is so that they will better reflect the heart of God. It's part of the bigger story. So we're going to close each week by helping you to connect to that larger story and your place in it. I always tell my clients, the bulk of your work is not going to be done in this office. The bulk of your work is going to be done when you take your notes and you go before the Father. And he takes what you've just heard and helps it go from head to heart. And I think that's basically exactly the same thing that happens in a class. You're going to write these notes, but I want you to be able to take them This is just a download. It's just a cognitive download. It's not going to come to have any meaning unless you take this stuff and go a bit deeper. Um, And if you're like me, you're going to lose that little piece of paper that I gave to you. So so lest that happen, um, we're going to give you about five to ten minutes, depending upon each week, how how long each song is. But we play a song at the end of each of the teaching in the The purpose of the song is for you to connect to the Father about what it is that he is teaching you. What's he putting his finger on? What's he holding his hand out to you? Join me. Let's go deeper. Tonight's song is called Run to the Father by Cody Carnes and Carrie Jobes. And the refrain is... My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again. Somebody read the homework that I gave to you, and she said to me, they're going to need counseling. I want to say, I mean, maybe so, whatever. But I really want to say, as a counselor, Run to the Father. Run to the Father. Do not be afraid of what comes up. Go to the Father with whatever it is. Have him walk you through it. And start tonight just by listening to this song. 
maybe processing the questions that you have, or maybe not, whatever you want to do with it. Just listen and relax. Dear Jesus, we thank you that our heart has found a surgeon. We have found a friend. We have nothing to fear. We have hope for whatever is within that you are touching to heal. Give us wisdom, give us discernment. Most of all, give us faith. A holy excitement for what you might do to make us look more and more like you. Sometimes messy, raw, but an image bearer. In your name, amen.